Shalom, and welcome to Via Havta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. What role does the Law of Moses have in your life? Now, many believers will say this, I'm a New Testament believer. Therefore, the law is done away with. It no longer has any relevance for me. The question that we have to answer is this, is that accurate? Would the Apostle Paul agree with such statements? What we're going to do is begin a very significant chapter, chapter 7 in the book of Romans. And Paul speaks a great deal about the law of Moses, and we need to see what Paul says about this. Now, before we get started, realize this. We concluded chapter 6 of Romans with a wonderful statement. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life eternal life through Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus Christ. And what is that gift of God? It is His grace. This is what Paul teaches, and this is what the Word of God predominantly says to us. And that is that salvation, that is, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life in the kingdom of God, all of this is a gift. It is free to us. Why? because Messiah Yeshua paid the price in full. Paul says several times, no one is justified by the works of the law. The law of God is not an instrument for salvation. One cannot keep the commandments enough in order to find salvation. The law of God brings judgment upon every human being. The law of God is not an instrument of salvation. It's simply one way into the kingdom of God, and that is receiving the gospel by faith, realizing that when Messiah did upon the cross, that work gives us grace. When we receive it by faith, confessing our sins and putting our trust in him. So confessing our sins, trusting him, understanding that he provided his blood as the element, the only element that would give to us eternal redemption. Well, with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Romans chapter 7. And we're just going to do the first six verses in our time of study today. Romans chapter 7 and let's begin in verse 1. Now, notice he says at the beginning of this verse, many translations ignore this first word, which is or. It is a, a statement of two alternatives. One is to believe properly in that free gift, the gift of God, that gives to us eternal life by faith, not of works. I want you to hear that carefully. 
I'm saying over and over salvation is not an outcome of works. It's an outcome of faith in the work of Messiah, what he did upon that cross. That is the only way that we find the forgiveness of our sins. But notice what he says in verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1 of the book of Romans. He says, Or do you not know, brethren? Now, most Bibles will translate it, Do you not know or are you ignorant of something? But if you pay close attention to this word, it's a word for knowing and it has a prefix, which is a prefix of negation. So it may not simply be unknowing or ignorant of something, but it could be against knowing. And in my opinion, that understanding of that word is correct, against knowing. Many believers are against knowing what the Word of God truly says. They, they like their ignorance. They like being able to do things that they think now are permissible but they are against knowing the truth. Now, my purpose in our study is not to try to influence you to believe what I believe, but rather, what we want to do is simply look at the verses and see what Paul is saying to us in this study and next week and the week after, because chapter 7 does indeed form a unit consisting of that same theme, a proper understanding of salvation and what the Spirit of God, what He brings about in our life. So look again. He says, Or are you against knowing brethren? And that term brethren is an inclusive term. It means both male and female believers, brothers and sisters. Now he says, second part of verse 1, for to the ones who know the law, I'm speaking. Now, remember, Paul is addressing this. We're in the book of Romans. He is addressing it to those, those individuals that are part of the congregation of believers in the city of Rome. And a good portion of them were Jewish. And therefore, they knew what the law says. And in this case, he's writing to them in a unique way, and he says, For to the ones who know the law, I'm writing. And he reveals something, something that those who know the law would understand. He says, because the law rules over. It's literally the word Lord in a verbal construction. So the law lords over. It's the master, we would simply say, that the law rules over a man for, and then it says, as much as he is alive. So here's the truth. When one is alive, the law rules over him. The law is his Lord. And here's the problem. Because we by nature, how I was, was born, I was conceived in sin, all human beings are. And we have that problem with original sin that stains us. And therefore, when we apply the law of God, the truth of God to our life, his expectations, his standards, what are we? 
We are unrighteous. We are sinners. And therefore, left to ourselves without any help from God, we are going to experience condemnation. Now, this is what Paul is referring to. As long as a man is alive, what happens? He is under the law. Now, Paul says something. We've seen this in the book of Romans earlier. We see this in other writings of Paul when he says, you are no longer under the law. I would make a note of that phrase, no longer under the law. The problem is this. Many people understand this incorrectly. They believe that statement means the law no longer has relevance for me. That is not the proper understanding of not under the law. Not under the law means we are not going to be condemned by the law. The law is no longer the ruler over us. The law is not our master. We have a new Lord. And who is that? Messiah. And we're going to see how Paul speaks concerning this issue and the example that he gives in a moment. So once again, second part of verse 1, because the law rules over, the law's the Lord of a man as long as he is alive, as long as he should live. Now look at verse 2. In verse 2, he's going to explain his predominant thought with an example. And it's very important, the example that he gives. And we need to understand the implications of why Paul chose this example. Verse 2. For a married woman. Now, marriage, biblically, the scripture says, for example, in the book of Malachi, that she is your wife by covenant. What does that tell us? Marriage is a covenant. And we see this in the scripture. We see that God speaks as Israel, to Israel as Israel is his wife. He's the husband. We see in the new covenant, Messiah. He speaks to believers, to the church as the bride, and he's the groom. So marriage is used biblically, both in the Old and New Testament, to, to give us an understanding, a framework, a perception for understanding this relationship, this covenant we have with God through Messiah, known as the New Covenant. It's also a type of marriage. So it's not by accident, not by coincidence that he chooses this, this symbol, marriage. Look again at verse 2. For a married woman, to her living husband, she is bound by the law. Meaning she's in this covenant of marriage. And the only thing that can, can break this covenant, according to the context here, is death. When the man dies, it brings about, his death brings about a different condition for her. So once again, for the married woman to her living husband is bound, meaning she has been bound since the time that that covenant was made in the past. It's still true and it continues unto death. Now look at verse, verse 2, the second part. But if the man should die, now understand, death is at the center of what we're talking about. Why? 
Well, remember, we're in chapter 7. The previous chapter spoke about baptism and spoke about how baptism, this is this identifying with Messiah. We identify with him because of this covenant, this new covenant we enter into, that when Messiah died, we died. But when he rose, we also rise, that newness of life. And, and listen to that phrase, newness of life, because as we wrap up today, it is going to be at the heart of what we talk about. We're going to have a new life like Messiah had resurrection life. That resurrection changes everything. Death brought about a change, but resurrection brings about a better change. So he says, once more, second part of verse 2, but if the man that's the husband, should die, and notice this next word, she is free from the law of her husband, meaning this law of marriage, she is set free from that law. Now, notice this term for being set free. It's translated a variety of time. It appears just less than 30 times in the Bible, and it's translated in a great variety of ways. I've said to people that a wise person, if you are in a PhD program doing a dissertation on this word and its use, and the proper understanding throughout the New Testament of this word would be a great dissertation study. It has great significance for us. Now, look at the context. Let me ask you this. A person's married, their spouse, that husband, dies, and that death brings about an end to marriage in the fullest sense. No. It brings about an end to marriage for that couple. But it doesn't affect marriage in a general sense. The laws of marriage are still relevant. They're still in this world. And therefore, what we find is this. The death of Messiah and... When he died, I died if I received him by faith. This is going to have a change. It's going to bring about a freedom to me, a liberty. But that does not mean because that one man dies that marriage loses all significance. There's no longer any more relevance in the world of marriage. Marriage is done away with. It's rendered null and void. Is that what, what the death of one husband does to the concept of marriage? No. But what he's saying is this. Look on now to, to verse 3. She's set free from the law that, that related her to the man. And what's the implication of that? Look at verse 3. Then, therefore, the husband living. Now, the situation is if the husband, as long as the husband is alive, she will be called an adulteress if she should become to another man. So if, she, if he dies, she is set free. She can become the wife of another and not be called an adulteress. But if he's still alive and she should become the wife of another man, she will be called, this is what it says, look carefully at verse 3. An adulteress, she will be called if 
she becomes to another man. But, middle of verse 3, but if the man should die, what happens? His death brings about, it says, that she is free or she is liberated. She is free from the law and she shall not be an adulteress if she should become to another man. So it's a change no longer if she gets married to another man. Would she be an adulteress because that first husband has died and death sets her free from the law personally? Now, what aspect of the law are we talking about? Very important question. If you don't see the relevance of this, you're missing something. Because we've already pointed out, just because a man dies, that does not render the concept, the institution, the covenant of marriage, null and void. No longer relevant in this world whatsoever. Doesn't do that. What does it do? The death of that man frees her from judgment if she should become the wife of another man. She's no longer under judgment. That's the key. And this is what Paul is emphasizing. This is why he's speaking primarily to those who know the law, because they would perceive this properly. They would understand what we've already talked about, and that is this. This phrase, not under the law, is a term of judgment. That's what's being spoken of here. This is what's being emphasized. Her husband dies, therefore she can marry another and not be labeled an adulteress. Why? What's the punishment of adultery? Death. She's no longer under that punishment any longer. Look now to, to verse 4. So that my brothers, here again, brothers and sisters, speaking to believers, so that, my brethren, also you, you have died to the law, meaning this. No longer are we susceptible to the judgment of the law. Why? Well, let me ask you in a general sense, what is the punishment of the law? The answer is this. Death, why? You know what the law reveals about me? The law reveals I'm a sinner. Sin is synonymous with death. Why? Look at the book of Genesis. They sinned and death entered into the world. So the law reveals I'm a sinner. I am without hope left to myself. And what's the punishment of my sin? What is the punishment of the violating of the law? Death. But what we find here is that no longer is that punishment going to be placed upon me. Why? You should know the answer to this. We saw it in Romans 6 because I've already died. How's that? When Messiah died upon that tree, I died with him. My sins, what causes the punishment, what brings about death, sin, the results of sin, death. When Messiah died, I died. I'm united with him through this covenant. And baptism signals this. It's a symbol of it. Therefore, I've already been punished. Messiah took my punishment. It was as though I was on the cross when he was on the cross. And now Messiah, because of his work, 
His righteousness is what God the Father sees when he looks at me for the privilege of entering into his covenant, being part of his family, entering into the kingdom of God. So my sins were taken by him. He paid the punishment, but it was credited to my account. I'm no longer a candidate for God's eternal judgment. All of that is done away with because death changed that, the death of one, the death of one man, Messiah Yeshua. So he says, look again at verse 4, so that my brothers, also meaning sisters, also you, you, and the point is, you have died to the law. How have I died to the law? He says, through the body of Messiah. When Messiah's body was nailed to that cross, that brought about, and this is what he's saying, same thing he taught in Romans chapter 6. Now he's teaching in Romans chapter 7, that when Messiah died, I died with him. That punishment that he received was also for me in my behalf so that I don't have to die spiritually. I will have, remember what he ended chapter 6 with, that now we can receive the gift of God, that free gift by grace. We don't please God enough by being good enough to enter into his kingdom of God. Never is that going to be the situation for anyone. No, we, by grace, are redeemed. And it's because of Messiah's work, God is pleased with us because he sees the righteousness of his son in us. This is the glory of, of the gospel. So that, my brothers, also you, you have died to the law. That's passage. You have been made dead to the law. Why? Because of the body of Messiah. For that you, and the implication is, so that you can become to another. You and I become to another. Who's that? Well, our new Lord is no longer the law. The law is not the Lord of our life. Who is? Messiah Yeshua. He becomes our Lord. And all the benefits of this new covenant. That's what he's saying here at the end of, of this passage. And then he says who that is. He says, you become to another. And who is that? To the one who has raised, been raised from the dead. Once again, it's in the passive, the one who has been raised from the dead. Who's that? Messiah. So the laws, no longer my Lord. My Lord is Messiah Yeshua, who has risen from the dead. God the Father raised him from the dead. And what's being emphasized? Resurrection. Paul speaks about resurrection, power. What is that power of the resurrection? Well, let me ask you this. What is the source of of resurrection power here's the answer the Holy Spirit because once we become a member of God's family through that new covenant the evidence of that is the giving of the Holy Spirit not just him landing upon us as he did in the Old Testament but he functions differently the Holy Spirit now dwells within the believer forever and he gives us power what power well, keep reading. He says here, now we belong to another, the one who was raised from the dead, in order that we do what? In order that we produce, that's the key, 
that we produce fruit to God. Now, the question is this. How do you know what God considers good fruit? The answer is there's a structure for that. And that structure is the law of God. The law does not save us. But the law still tells us what is right and what is wrong, what is a good work and what is an evil work. The law still gives us insight. The law gives us the framework for good fruit. And this is what we're called to do. So he says, in order that we should produce fruit to God, look now to verse 5. For when we were in the flesh. Now, something just stands out to me. It says, when we were, I would underline that term. It is the Greek word amy in a different form. Now it's iman. And what's important about that? It's in the imperfect. What have I shared with you about the imperfect tense in Greek? What I've shared is this. When the imperfect tense appears, it foreshadows a change, a transition. So he says, look at verse, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh... The passions of sin through the law were raised. Some Bibles will say were aroused, meaning this. When you're in the flesh, the law arouses in us this sinful desire that, that causes us, manifests concerning us that we're sinful. And that the law, when God says, thou shall not, our sinful nature says, yes, I will. When God says you should do that, that sinful nature in us says, no, I won't. That's our, our previous condition. We were in the flesh, but no longer. He says it arouses those, those desires in our members, meaning in our parts, in our bodies. In order that we, he says here, that, that we produce the fruit of death. We don't want to do that. We don't want to produce fruit that manifests death, death, but we want to produce the good fruit of God. Now look at verse 6, our last verse. He says, but now, same phrase that we saw earlier on in chapter 2, verse 2, where it says that you have been set free. It says, but now we have been set free from the law. What aspect? The punishment of the law. Why? having died to what bound us. So no longer are we bound. We're not heading for punishment, death. Why? We've already died to that which bound us so that we can serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. In the significance of that phrase, no longer do we serve God. We want to serve God, but no longer do we do so in the, the letter. But we do so now having been redeemed, having that, that spirit of God within us. We do so in the newness of the spirit. And that term newness is a kingdom term. It relates to that which is characteristic of the kingdom of God. So now we're going to see next week how in the newness of the Spirit we serve God fulfilling 
what God has called us to do. Exciting truth. Until next week, shalom. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.